Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, here is the trigger warning. We're talking about messed up stuff, um, but no, we will be talking about horror movies, horror culture, which could involve controversial and possibly offensive uh, subjects such as murder, rape, suicide, or child abuse, F-bombs, graphic language uh, parental advent advisory advise inventory (laughs) that stuff that sticker that was on the cds see kids cds were tangible forms of media that we used to use back in the day thanks to mrs gore yes anyway all that stuff we're gonna be talking about fucked up shit i can say that now because we're past the disclaimer (laughs) (laughs) so today we have the company of one Steve Barton, co-founder and editor of Dread Central and producer on the upcoming Terrifier 2. Welcome, Steve. Hello. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah, thanks Our for pleasure. Being. Thanks for joining us. Wow. So I don't know what uh, Miguel might have told you, but uh, the theme of our call is trying to find out what people really love about horror from a personal perspective, not in the general sense, but you as an individual. So the way we do this is we ask a a bunch of questions in three different phases, childhood, uh, teenage years, and then adulthood and coming at it from these different directions sometimes triggers memories that you'd forgotten. But that said, it's not meant to be uh, uh, you know, a therapy session or anything like that. So if there's anything that you don't want to, you know, answer you to say pass. Well, first of all, I, I feel completely called out by your disclaimer because I, I do all of that <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> not all of it, but the majority of it. Um, yeah, man, there, there, there's really not whatever you guys want to talk about. I'm happy to blather. I can, uh, all right. I have a degree in blathering. Oh, mm. yes. Uh, so if we were to start with childhood, what would be like the top three? Uh, well, what's your first memory of scary things? You know, that that's probably exactly why Miguel uh, <laughs> suggested you. <laughs> yes. it, it, it's a really kind of a neat story. A lot of people have had their defining moments as they get older in life. And mine came at about three years old. <laughs> okay. Wow. And- okay. Started early. Yeah, I remember it fondly for reasons which I'll get into immediately. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, dude. I'm like, I'm getting to be a fucking dinosaur. I'm pushing 50, okay? And it sucks. I got hair growing out of parts of my body that shouldn't. It, it's weird. Mm-hmm. But being that I grew up in the 70s, you know, when I was a kid in our living room, we had this giant black and white console television set which was the kind of tv piece of furniture yeah if, mm-hmm. if it broke you just put another tv on top of it and fuck it now <laughs> right yeah it's a good old tv pyramid totally right so it, it didn't take me long to figure out when i was a little kid that the really good shit was on after midnight on tv especially in the 70s man there was all sorts of craziness on tv mm-hmm. and uh I had a nightly ritual. It was, I would wait to hear my parents sleeping and (laughs) I heard them snoring and I knew it was safe. I would get out of bed and run into the living room and turn on the TV and just lose my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, One night I was sitting there and I, I turned on the TV and all of a sudden I see this newscast about the dead returning to life. Ah, and we need to get to rescue stations. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> you got war of the worlds dude, like I night of the living dead 100 
hashtag War of the Worlds, right? So I got up and I ran into my parents' bedroom, and you know I'm like a little motherfucking Bruce Campbell at this point. I'm like, dude, we gotta get out of here. And um, my mom was like, oh, you're having a nightmare, blah, blah, blah. And my dad's like, no, it's on the TV. And my dad is ultra pissed off. He's the kind of pissed off you never want your dad to be, right? Because it's like 1.30 in the morning and I'm screaming about dead people coming back to life. So I grabbed my mom's hand and I I literally, at three years old, did my best to pull her out of bed. And she got up and I brought her in the living room and my dad was in tow begrudgingly. Hmm? Super irritated. And um, I pointed to the TV. And of course, what was on was, as you said, Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. And I got my first spanking that night. <laughs> the first time my little Irish and Italian ass ever felt pain. And as I was laying there in my bed with my fucking little cherubic ass throbbing, <laughs> I realized that. I was 110% scared out of my wits, yet completely safe. And I thought that was the coolest fucking thing ever, you know? Okay. Even though I got my ass totally kicked for it, Mm -hmm. I I just, this was like amazing. Like, how, like, just the juxtaposition of those two things. You know, this is before I had gone to amusement parks and roller coasters or anything like that, you know? So for me, it was like this strange juxtaposition where I was absolutely terrified and absolutely safe. And again, it, it's, it was the coolest thing. So that, I mean, I wrote on, I write under the pen name Uncle Creepy. And uh, I always attribute that moment in my life to the birth of Uncle Creepy. That's when I had my horror awakening. That literally was the moment that changed my life forever. Because after that, I, I just started consuming every little bit of horror content I could find. That's when I discovered Creepy Magazine, where I got my name from. Right? And um, yeah, attention world, uh, Uncle Creepy was a horror comic character. Uh, he was not on the sex offenders list at the time. And had I known <laughs> what that name would be associated with, I might have been a wee bit more selective. But it's brought me a lot of good things. Um, So, yeah, man, as soon as that happened, it's like that was the uh, it's like somebody physically flipped a switch in my head that made me go, holy fuck, this is fucking everything, you know, (laughs) and it was just from there that that began my love affair with the horror genre. That is pretty cool, especially the three that you were able to just process all that, too, like just also the phases you go through. It's the end of the world. Everything's on fire. There are zombies coming to eat us all having to be the hero and go and try and save your parents. The confusion of your parents saying, no, nothing's wrong. Then the trauma of getting your ass beat. And then the, the final phase of, wait a minute. I just went through this amazing, crazy and terrifying experience, but I'm not dead and zombies aren't eating me. So it's like, Dude, that is called the motherfucking gamut of emotions. <laughs> yeah, right? Plus epiphany. A, little, a pinch of epiphany in there. Yeah, man. You know, Three. I mean, it, it doesn't get much crazier than that, but that is how it all started. And it was it was an amazing journey from start to end, and I'm just thankful it's not over yet. Yeah. Right. It's kind of funny. It actually reminds me of a story of an ex-girlfriend of mine, the actually the last relationship I was in, she, her, how can I say this? Her biological parents split up when she was very young, like two or three years, you said, 
And, um, and I guess it was her mother's first date with the guy who wound up becoming her stepfather. And I guess she was in the back seat acting completely rambunctious and unruly. And apparently he pulled the vehicle over and hauled her out and spanked her and, you know, put her in the back. It's a good first impression. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, with apparently her mother's, you know, full blessing. And, uh, but it, she said she remembers sitting there. It, the, like you mentioned this juxtaposition for her, the juxtaposition was disciplined, but also feeling loved. Right. Hmm. And it, so it's interesting in your case, it was this uh, juxtaposition of, uh, you know, being afraid, but also feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing what a good fucking ass whipping will give to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually a lost art form, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's a dying art. A it's good true. ass whipping to change your whole position on things. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think it's the combination of, obviously, the, the ass whipping, but also the... I mean, kids have an honest understanding of they know when, mm-hmm. you know, someone cares about them. You know what I mean? Sure. Like there's a difference between getting your ass beat by somebody that, you know, loves you versus just getting your ass beat by somebody who's a jerk. Oh, yeah. That's a completely different story. But parental ass beatings can put you right on the right course. Mm-hmm. Odd, it's odd how sometimes they can putting the fear of God into you, as they say. Mm. So what other early memories do you have? Oh, man, there, there, there's, you know, it's funny. It's like when I was growing up because of that moment, like I said, I started really consuming stuff. And then I, I think once my mom realized that I had become such a fan of these things, I mean, my mom liked horror movies too. So she would start watching oh. them with me, you know? So I have really fond memories of watching like Godzilla movies on Saturday afternoon with my mom. And uh, she actually took me to my first couple of horror movies in a theater. One was the original Jaws, mm-hmm. which was mind-blowing to me. And then the other one, I kind of crapped out. I'm going to be I'm gonna fess up. I pussied out. <laughs> she took me to see Friday the 13th Part 2. Uh-huh. And by the time Alice got in her head with, with the ice pick, I was done, dude. She, she said <laughs> I, I turned completely white. And because uh, th- that was some graphic ass violence to me at that point, you know, yeah. I, I we left the theater and then we went to go see Caveman, which is playing right in the next theater. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah, you know, I mean, at least it had dinosaurs. So, I, yeah, it wasn't that bad. But, yeah. you know, I'm Italian and I, I grew up in New York. So as soon as I was old enough to start doing whatever, my dad was like, OK, now go get a job. And uh this was at the dawn of like VHS. Right. It, it got into my head that that was the most amazing thing ever to be able to watch your favorite movies at any time. Whenever you want it. As many times as you want. Holy yeah. shit. What sorcery is this? Right. <laughs> so I got my first job and being that I'm Italian, it was working in a pizzeria because that's what you do. It's your life. It's your life <laughs> passage. It was very cliche. As one does. Yep. Right. So I worked the entire summer to save up $99 to buy Night of the Living Dead on VHS tape. Nice. And at that point, believe it or not, there was a point, if you're old enough, you remember that VHS tapes were like $100 each, dude. They were not fucking cheap when they first came out. Nope. And the players. VHS rentals. Yeah. 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 
And that's why, yeah, okay, that's why the video store would charge you like $100 if you never returned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what the next thing that blew my mind was I, I realized that my friend who lived down the block that had a VCR could bring over his VCR, and then we could like table them together, and then we could record movies that we t- rented from the video store. Hey, oh, oh that's, a, that's a piracy's. Hey, dude, I was like fucking 12, you know? Right? You don't know what it is at that point. Yeah, we, we all did it. It was just making a copy. Yeah, man. It's like my first dubbed VHS tape. I can tell you exactly what it <laughs> yeah. was. It was the opening video from Michael Jackson's Thriller. Ah, yeah. And then it was uh, Evil Dead. Nice. And finally, it was Dawn of the Dead afterwards. So those are that. That was the first pirated VHS tape I've ever made, and I'm still proud of it because God damn, that was a good few hours. As you should be. Those are good titles. Yeah. So wait, was this two VCRs like one into another, or was it like a dual head? Yeah, no, it was one into another. We had to use like these, like fucking what are they called? RCA RCA cables. Were they RCA back yeah. then? Were, were they yeah. were they parallel ports? Uh, I believe so. There was, there was the yellow, the red, and the white. That, that's all. RCA. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it, it was just awesome, you know? And then as I started getting older, I, I, you know, the one thing that saddens me about technology today, and I love technology. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I love my Oculus. I love my Xbox. Mm. I love my PlayStation, right? But hanging out in a video store when you're mm-hmm. like 13 and just seeing all these cool ass bits of box art, man. I would rent a movie just because of the box art. The box art was badass. I didn't care what the movie was. I had to like mortuary and shit like that that had that cool ass hand coming out of the grave. And and then there were the taboo titles, man. The titles that were always rented out. You know, you could never get it. Yeah, it, it took me like four months to get the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And and when I did, dude, I had a little baby nerd boner. I was renting- <laughs> I was like, this is it. I finally got it, you know? And it, it was just those are just some really magical times for me, man. I, I How old were you at that when you uh, got that? 12, 13, something like that. Okay. I, I was a wee creepy at that <laughs> point. You know? A little creepy. A little creepy. And <laughs> it, it was just the most magical time. And then the second most magical time is I was always an avid reader of Fangoria, of course. And um, when I realized that there were conventions that I could go to and I could see all these people that I, I started watching and, and, and idolizing, that fucking blew my mind too. And that actually led me into Dread Central later in life. And uh, it, it, it was cool, man. It, it, was just, it was quite a trip growing up at the time that I did. So going back to childhood for a minute, um, you mentioned your mom was a fan of horror. Did you have anybody else in your friends or family group that were fans of horror? Oh, yeah, dude. My brother. My brother was as big of an addict. He still is, as as I am. And my brother and I would constantly fucking fight because as soon as I would get my issue of Fangoria, he would, like, confiscate it. And he was one of those those dick older brothers that would take your magazine and read it while eating, right? Or, like... I would find like oil stains on my pages and shit like that. And then I would go fucking nuts. He used to drive me crazy. So that's why I still, to this day, now that I'm old enough, make a 
a, a very stern point to fuck with him as much as I humanly can. <laughs> all because of those goddamn crumbs and oil stains I found in my Fangoria. Fuck him if you don't like it. No, he deserves it. Did you dress up for Halloween as a kid? Oh, God, yeah, man. We had these really cheesy but cool, like, fucking masks. They, they reprint them now, which blows my mind. It was like Frankenstein. I think my favorite movie monster was always Frankenstein because um, – Listen, my story isn't unique. I, I came from dysfunctional family circus, you know? So I always related to the Frankenstein monster, you know, because mm-hmm. he didn't ask to be here. Nope. And he was just like, dude, you know, and Audio Slave had great lyrics. You gave me life. Now show me how to live. Nobody ever showed me how to live, you know? Right. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was half fucking crazy. And so I got my education. And my my moral education, I should say, from watching George Romero movies and, and sitting in front of the TV and looking at certain situations and and t- kind of dissecting how characters would react in certain situations. So I grew up very much in front of the TV, and all I ever watched was horror movies. You know, so it, it was it, it's fucking trippy, man. I, I look back; it's amazing I'm here. It really is. Mm. Did you have a favorite costume at, for Halloween? Oh God, yeah, Frankenstein, man. You, Frankenstein, you there you go. Cannot beat the classic, and it's got to be the right Frankenstein. Either, either Karloff or Glenn Strange. Everything else can eat a dick. It has to be one of the two. <laughs> you know? it, it has to be the classic, and, and Glenn Strange is the only other actor who played Frankenstein's monster that I liked. So I was down with the Glenn Strange. How about a least favorite costume? You know, I always hated the Dracula costumes. And it, it wasn't because I hate Dracula. I love Dracula. I love Bela Lugosi. But back then, like, costume art was kind of antiquated. So all the Dracula costumes, with the exception of the cape, just looked like this grumpy old dude, you know? <laughs> and I couldn't get scared by the grumpy old dude, so it wasn't fun for me. And the only grumpy old dude that scared me was my dad. So I was like, fuck that. Give me freaking <laughs> Right. cool and shit you know was there ever a time in real life that anything that scared you in real life as a child oh god yeah you know what's funny dude i've always always had an affinity for the paranormal i mm-hmm. i okay. i was a paranormal investigator professionally for three years i did my own radio show uh called brainwaves horror and paranormal that was post dread central and i had a lot of fun doing that with my good buddy joe netter and um, it was just, you know, just like everyone else. I mean, I, I, my, my grandfather died, and he used to live with us. My grandfather died when I was 13. And that was the first time I ever saw, like, a real dead body. And it was different, you know, than it was in the movies. It was way different. And it, it, it gave me a lot of pause for thought, man. And and that was the first time I really considered, is that just it? Is he really gone? Because you don't really you don't really think about death until you're really faced with it. You know, it's mm-hmm, always right. like something that happens in the movies, but when it happens to you, you're like, this is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. So that was the first time I was ever scared, was just seeing, you know, my grandfather who had died. And after that, that also ignited a passion to finding out if there is anything beyond that, which I am a skeptic and, you know, I, I'm agnostic in every aspect of my life. You can show me, 
I need to see, you know what I mean? I need to find out for myself, but I'm also very hypocritical because when I'm on my deathbed, I'm praying to fucking anyone that's going to listen. So, <laughs> five more minutes, please. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at being confronted with actual death and seeing it face to face, even at 13 years old, which is an unfortunately young age to be exposed to something like that. Mm-hmm. I think, right. Anyway, that was the first time I was ever truly scared. And yeah, okay. here's the funny thing is, warped as this fucking sounds, um, I was so freaked out about this that I didn't go to my grandfather's wake because it, I, I was actually scared of his body. You know, it, it just it looked weird to me. Yeah, no, it's and, totally understandable given the experience you had watching him yeah, pass. What it's, I did, in, what I did instead of watching or, or going to my grandfather's wake was I watched Return of the Living Dead. Okay, no, no, that also checks out because it's it's chicken soup for the soul. It's comfort yeah. food of entertainment. Well, you know what? It also, in some strange way, helped me kind of process. Yeah, it helped you cope with it. You know, I mean, horror in a lot of ways. That's the thing about horror fans and, and horror in general. Horror is one of the only genres that's named after a feeling that it elicits, you know? I mean, you can be dramatic, but can you really feel drama? But you can feel horror. And I think that's why it, it becomes so ingrained on us fans and, and us who work in the genre and, and those of us who really love it, because it's the emotion that it gives us inside that it helps us in just inexplicable ways process things, you know? It's nice to put on a horror movie, and at the end of the day, you see the bad guy get their just desserts. Mm-hmm. And then you live in a world that's full of real bad guys, and it seems like they get away with everything, you know? So it, I guess it's that aspect of it, man, that, that fantasy world where things sometimes do work out a little better than they do in real life, that that helps you process through your grief. I mean, so do you think watching that movie helped you have some sort of sense of closure? Absolutely. You know, uh, maybe it's the fact that, you know, here my grandfather had just died and now I'm watching a movie about the dead coming back to life. Maybe that at that age offered me some comfort. Like maybe it wasn't over, you know? I mean, it, it, that's cause for a lot of introspection. One I've never even done before, but I, I think at the end of the day, that was it for me. You know, maybe seeing that life could go on beyond death helped me cope with the reality of his death. That's some profound shit from somebody who curses like a fucking sailor, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. You know, the the hope that maybe it's not over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We go on. Yeah. Did you have any reoccurring dreams when you were a kid? As an adult, I, I definitely did, but never as a kid. Um, I, I remember one dream I had that used to scare the shit out of me as a little kid. And it was just like I would dream that I was in a park and there was like a bench and it was nighttime and there was like a lamppost and there was a woman sitting on the bench and behind her was this like white light, like almost like a spotlight. Mm-hmm. And it would keep getting closer to me and closer to me and closer to me. And it would emit this kind of like high frequency pitch that I remembered. And it would 
that would wake me up out of nowhere. I mean, I, I guess as far as a recurring dream, maybe that was the one. Because I do remember having that maybe a couple of times, but ne- never to the point that it was, you know, like every night then. It's like cinematically kind of awesome, though, that your brain came up with that. Like, was it OK? So did the light go out and then when it came back on the uh, woman on the bench with the light was closer or was this bench just kind of moving towards you? No, no, I was, it was my POV. Okay, yeah, so you were walking towards it then? No, I was standing still, and I was just looking at it, and the light behind her just kept coming more toward me. Oh. It just kept intensifying and intensifying, and as soon as it got close enough to me, Mm -hmm. the only thing I could liken it to is maybe falling in a dream where you have that moment, you're jarred to wake, Uh and I that that was it you know it was i don't know what the fuck that dream meant but yeah i mean yeah freud would have a field day with that one dude i I always i always had very cinematic notions which is i mean i remember even playing with my fucking masters of the universe set i would put castle grayskull on my on my chest and have he-man and skeleton (laughs) right so i can get the low low camera angle you gotta get that low dutch angle totally dude I, I, i was out of my mind and I guess I still am, and it, it translated. <laughs> well, the the dream. I mean, I could be completely wrong here, but you know, based off of what you told me about your mother and father, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you know, like the mother or the the woman was supposed to represent your mother, and the light was your father. Could be. You know, it could be. My my parents died when I was really young. Uh, my mom died when I was seventeen, and my dad killed himself when I was 21. So, I mean, it again, and you know what? A lot of people go, oh, I'm so sorry. Don't be sorry because all of those things and all of those instances and all of that pain, I learned to channel it and, and become who I am. And I like, well, you know, obviously those things came later in your childhood, though. You were talking about how your father was a bit of an alcoholic and you were afraid of him at times. He was a maniac, dude. He used to, and kick my ass every day till I was 14. Well, the vibe that I was getting when you're describing the dream is that you were afraid of whatever this light was and this pitch was, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. what's the word? It could have been the glint off my dad's belt, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're back to an ass whipping. See how we've come <laughs> So, uh, let's see for childhood. You mentioned Godzilla jaws Friday the 13th. Um, you also mentioned Frankenstein. You said you like Frankenstein because you could relate to the monster. What about, uh, Godzilla or jaws? Do you, did you relate to them at all or, you know, what was, what was there? Did you just enjoy it? I jaws is just something I enjoyed to me. Jaws is like the ultimate comfort food. Even to this day, if I'm, if I'm surfing through the channels and jaws is on, even though I own it on, Every conceivable medium you can imagine, I still watch it on TV because I can't bring myself to turn away from it. It's just a movie I truly enjoy. But um, I, I think Godzilla was, Godzilla was like my superhero. You know what I mean? And the movies I would watch with my parents were the ones when Godzilla was always like the hero. I, I never really cared about, you know, Batman or Superman or anything like that. My heroes were monsters. Even growing up, you know, a lot of kids between eight and say 14 or whatever, you know, on their walls, they have sports figures. They have fucking, some have 
chicks scantily clad in swimsuits and and cars and I had Pumpkinhead. I had <laughs> awesome. I had the Tall Man. I had Jason, Freddy. Yeah, I remember buying stage blood and putting it on my hands and putting bloody handprints all over my walls. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was me, you mm-hmm. know. And my, my mom said to me one time, she goes, "You know, Steve, I, I love that you love this so much, and I, I would never tell you not to love it as much as you do. But you may want to start thinking about what else you could do because you're probably never <laughs> going to make money with your love for horror, and you know." Uh, sorry, mom, kind of proved you wrong there. It's kind of like the teacher who told me I was never going to run into my f- a point in my life when I had a calculator in my pocket and I had to <laughs> look like, well, bitch, look at my iPhone, right? right. You know, so it, it's it's amazing. And, and I'm, I'm like a reservoir for horror. Like I could tell you Friday the 13th part two was filmed in Kent, Connecticut. And I don't know why I know that, but you could ask me like what eight times seven is. And I'm counting on my hands and fucking fingers and toes you know it's it's just such a part of me well the thing you said about uh godzilla maybe being like your superhero that makes sense and this has come up in other calls too where we talk about you know early childhood development that as a kid most kids have an issue with power or lack of agency because as a kid obviously your parents are in control of a lot of things and so it's very often that kids desire some level of power or control over their lives. And so in your case, it was Godzilla. Somebody else, it might be Mm He-Man. Somebody else, it might be, uh, you know, who who knows what. But nothing out of the ordinary there for sure. So in your case, uh, horror definitely did make you happy early in your childhood. Oh, it still does. Um, Every day is like a blessing. Well, I... The reason that I say that is because for some people, you know, everybody's journey is different. And for some people, it starts off enjoyment early on and, and continues through their whole life. For some people, they don't enjoy it early on and they don't they don't get to enjoy it until later on. But for you, it definitely was a, an enjoyment early on. Yeah, man. I, I would do anything when I was a kid to see horror movies. I would sneak into theaters. I snuck in to see... Mother's Day and double and, and with a, in a double feature with Dawn of the Dead. Nice. And I, I was just blown away by that, man. You know, it, it's just, I've always pursued it. I've always looked at it, you know, and even, even the newspapers, man, my dad would bring home the newspaper. The first thing I did was I would grab the paper, fuck the news, fuck the comics. I would go immediately to the movie section and just look at what horror movie posters might be there, what might be playing. And then just seeing like those taboo posters for like zombie where no one under 17 will be admitted under any circumstance. I love that, you know? And it, it was it, everything in my life was always horror, 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 24 7. Question You mentioned watching uh, the George Romero movies and getting some moral lessons from those. Did that was that in your early childhood or in your later in your teenage Oh, yeah, years? very much so. It was very, like I said, my dad was an alcoholic, my mom worked all day, so unfortunately, I was left with my dad uh, the majority of the time. So, my dad would come home with half a load on, kick my ass, go to sleep, and then I would watch movies or I would watch TV. and. George taught me a lot, and I even told him this you know, later in life, and I was lucky enough to befriend him. I said, you know, you're the, you, you fathered me without knowing that you raised me. You know what I mean? Like, I had a dad. I never had a father. 
You know, I never had somebody who sat there and, and really taught me things. And through his art, I learned so much from George, you know? Like what? Just the right, to always err on the right side of things, to really think about situations and try to be on the right side of them, to listen, to to let people think what they think and not try to change them, but to always go with your gut instinct, you know, and to always try and do the right thing, even though, I mean, George's work is filled with so many flawed characters. And in every one of his movies, it's always really the people who are the problem, mm-hmm. you know? So I would look at that and I would say to myself, well, how can I not be that problem? What can I do to make things better instead of worse? You know, and that was the mindset that his movies allowed me to have, you know, in every dark cloud, there's a little shiny part and you can find it if you look hard enough for it. And I think that George's movies, as tumultuous as they were at times, given these insane situations, he would put his characters in like the crazies or going to the dead or, or, or whatever, you know, it was like, he would look for that shiny part and I would look for it and I would appreciate it even more once I found it. So in a lot of ways, his really most fucked up movies helped me become a better person because, you know, I was learning from these characters examples and that's just something that I'll never forget. And I, I will always love that man for that. So let's jump over to teenage years. Uh, you mentioned Night of the Living Dead was big for you when you bought that on uh, VHS. Mm-hmm. What other, if you were just pick like your top big three things that stood out to you as influential in your teenage years, what would they be? Uh, Poltergeist is definitely one of them. And okay. For kind of like the same reason Night of the Living Dead was because Poltergeist had it it ha- it took the haunted house genre and put it in your next door neighbor's house. After seeing Poltergeist, I would find myself walking around just looking at houses and being like, I wonder what's going on in there. <laughs> right? Like if there's a TV flickering on in one of the upper windows, like, is there a gateway to another dimension in there? Dude, exactly. <laughs> you know, because it, it, it would just, it, it blew my mind. So Poltergeist was definitely one of those. Um, Texas. Well, it also ties in with your, uh, you know, afterlife. Oh, totally, one hundred and ten percent. You, you can totally trace my lines. I, I'm a, I'm a fucking dot to dot kind of person. <laughs> but you know, I, I would say the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I, I think the reason why that movie was so visceral to me was because it really showcased the madness of people yep. that were just batshit crazy. And you can't, that to me is way scarier than any monster, you know, because people are fucking frightening, man. They, they, you never know what somebody is going to do. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre was like madness personified. You know, it was gritty, it was grimy, it was dirty. And, you know, it, it kind of made me always be a little bit more suspicious of the people who didn't seem right. In, in, in their ways or in their head or something like that. So definitely Texas Chainsaw. Uh, definitely Poltergeist. I'm sorry, you going to ask something? Uh, well, I was going to ask if Night of the Living Dead was, would have been in that top three, or did you just enjoy that memory because of the VHS? Oh, no, Night of the Living Dead is my chicken soup for the soul. 
Uh, okay. There, there are a few movies. The only other movie I saw that uh, that much, or even close to that much, is my second favorite movie of all time, which is uh, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which okay. to me is like everything I ever liked about the universal horror movies thrown into a blender. And, and Abbott and Costello versus Frank, Meet Frankenstein, excuse me. That was the one that really perfected the formula to me and, and stood out as the benchmark because oh, so. it well because a lot of horror comedies they misplace their humor you know um, sometimes the bad guys that'll will do shit that's funny or they'll make you laugh whereas in Evan and Costello meet Frankenstein you have these two buffoons who are definitely playing it for laughs but when it comes to the monsters themselves they were absolutely dead serious. They were not funny. And in order for a horror comedy for me to work is you can't have your villain be the butt of the joke. So mm-hmm. that, that is another, I mean, I could recite almost every line of that movie and every joke. It, it just, that, that's that, that and night of the living dead are, are literally the chicken soup from, for me, man, that they, they fix everything. Other than the afterlife aspect was what else, or is there anything else about Night of the Living Dead that uh, makes it your chicken soup? Well, I mean, there, again, being that it it launched my interest, you know, and and the questions it brought up and the setting, to me, that's a perfect horror movie. It really is, and I, I rarely say that about anything. I don't think anything is perfect, but Night of the Living Dead to me is everything that a horror movie should be. It's still shocking to this day. It doesn't matter when it was written. And another thing that really, really touched me in a lot of ways was, um, I grew up in New York. It's, it, it's definitely a melting pot, you know? So to see a character who, and, and the lead of the movie was black to me, I thought that was fantastic. And I, I never thought that he was black because he was making a statement. I just thought he happened to be a man of color. And even later, when I, because I had talked to George Anderson about Night of the Living Dead, he would say to me, Steve, man, Wayne, he was just the right guy for the job. You know, he was the best actor who read for that part. And I mean, there was a quality, there was horror, just to me that it, it elicited every emotion out of me and every intellectual thought, even before I was even capable of, of, of having a rationale of intellectual thought, you know, when I was 13, fucking Atari was a rational thought, you know, (laughs) it it just, that movie had it all to me. And it's just something I will always love and cherish. And it, it helped me see the world through a better set of eyes. Yeah. I agree. I'm just looking at the rest of the questions here and thinking uh, what else we should touch on for the teenage years. Um, <laughs> did you? You should rephrase that. Yeah, I know, really. Me, Uncle Creepy. I'm sitting here going, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> How dare you touch my teenage years, sir? <laughs> where, where in your teenage like years? <laughs> <laughs> where on the doll did he touch you? Yes, yes. At least leave a dollar on the table. cab fair Um, so did you participate in Halloween as a child or as a teen Uh, yeah but you know what more or less 
more partying than, than trick or treating. It was more of a delinquency thing, you know. Because yeah. Halloween was all year for big trees. Yeah, man, eggings, you know, shaving cream, devil light. You know, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I was an absolute delinquent in every way, shape, and form. <laughs> you know, I'm a street kid from Brooklyn, New York. And in Brooklyn, New York, that's how we grew up. So Halloween to me was more. You participated, but not by wearing costumes. Exactly. It was more along the lines of a mischief night than it was a spooky night for me, because every night was a spooky night for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you have any reoccurring dreams in your teens? None that I can remember. My reoccurring dreams didn't come until like my late 20s. We'll get to that. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Um, Anything in real life scare you in your teens? I mean, I, I hate to sound, to say it or sound this way because it, it, there, there's no way to say it without kind of sounding like I'm a brazen douchebag. You know, it's, um, I dealt with so much chaos when I was younger. You know, uh, the death of my grandfather, finding my mom dead, uh, my dad killing himself. That um, all of those events that took place between 13 and 21, they made me very hard. And there's a poor choice of words. Um, <laughs> it made me very resilient. There you um, go. That's it, a better. It made me very resilient. And from you know, from the time I was like eighteen to twenty-one, I was a psychopath. I wasn't afraid of anything. I, I was your typical teenager. I, I, I thought that I could. I was indestructible. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, I mean, we asked the questions because you never know. It could have gone that way. It could have gone the other way. Oh, you could have had totally. But being that I was like befriending the, the usual things people were scared of, I didn't give a shit about anything. You know, I was a, and don't get me wrong. These things I'm not proud of. I was an asshole. But, you know, I was, I was a completely different person who was dealing with. That was your coping mechanism. What? I said that was your coping mechanism. Right. You know? And it, you know, I was an awful person when I was a teenager. I truly was. <laughs> uh, let's see. You mentioned having a friend down the street. Was this person also a fan of horror? Or was it, or was it just a friend that happened to have a VHS player? Uh, I was a friend that happened to have a VHS player. Uh, he he wanted to make copies of like the Rocky movie, and I, I was like Dawn of the Dead. So <laughs> we into a compromise, a happy medium, if you will. You know, before we move to uh, the adult years, uh, there is one thing I thought to ask. What, a minute ago, we asked about, um, you know, anything actually scary happened in your real life. You did mention that your mother had passed away when you were 17. Is that anything you want to talk about at all or no? There's actually a horror tinge to that story, as ridiculous as that sounds. Again, when I was a younger kid, I was 17 at the time. We were in the schoolyard, which was across the street from my house. And my mom would work from like three to 11 o'clock at night. She worked in Brooklyn hospital. She wasn't a nurse. She was a telephone operator. So my friends and I were dicking around in the schoolyard as per usual, like we would do every night. And I had gotten into a bad fight with my mom that day or even the night before. I don't really remember which it was. And uh, my friends and I were fucking around with a Ouija board. And we were, there was this dude who I'd never met before. His name was Neil. And my friend Frankie had brought Neil to hang out with us. And Neil was the one who suggested we fuck around with a Ouija board. 
I mean, it was gibberish. It was nonsense. But he had us do it in a really specific way. It wasn't just, you know, put, you know, your hands on the planchette. There was lighting candles and, and water filled in glasses to a certain amount and yada, yada, yada. And I, I remember at one point, I think I was the one that asked the question, are you just trying to keep us here? And it went to yes. And I'm like, that's it. I'm done. And we went back to my house and Neil was still with us and we were hanging out on the stoop for those people who aren't from the East coast. The stoop is what we would call the stairs, which led to our house. Mm. Yes. And Neil was like looking inside my house. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, there's something in your house and it won't leave until it gets something from you. Well, I'm like, Oh, well that's comforting. Thanks. You know? Yeah. And my mom came home and I would given her the cold shoulder. Cause again, I was, Super pissed off for some angsty teenage reason. I, I don't really remember what it was. You know, after Neil had said that, I went inside and I, I went to bed. It was like around midnight, you know, by the time I finally went to sleep. And the next morning, the phone rang at 8.45 a.m., actually 8.43 a.m. And I woke up and I, I walked over to the phone. I grabbed it and it was all state insurance. And they were asking me to speak to my mom. And I, I went into the, her bedroom and, you know, my dad had already gone to work. My dad would leave to work at like 6 a.m. And uh, he had passed, you know, and it, it was, it was like a trombone shot. It's the only way I can even really discuss it. It was like she would zoom in, like her body zoomed in and everything else pushed back. You know, and, uh, it was a really strange and bewildering situation and honestly the only thing i can liken it to the only tv show or movie that ever got what that was like correct was the episode of buffy the vampire slayer called the body in which buffy found her mom dead and that was the most accurate representation of finding a loved one dead that i've ever seen and um of course, everything was like chaos at that point. And you know, for a good part of my life, I, I even though I, I know it had nothing to do with it. But, you know, you use a Ouija board and you're, you're supposed to be contacting whatever. And then this strange dude is seeing things in your house and you wake up the next morning, your mom has passed on. It can fuck with you at, yeah. at 17, you know. And I held a lot of guilt for that in my life for a very long time. Thankfully, you know, once I started becoming more of an adult, I was able to lay down that baggage and come to terms with the fact that it wasn't my fault, you know, or it didn't have anything to do with it. But it, it, it's just, you know, it's just another example of, of shit just hitting the fan. And the only experience I would have of learning how to deal with stuff like this was watching TV, you know, because my mom was hardly ever there. And my dad, like I said, was an abusive alcoholic. So, you know, it, it took a lot for me to be able to process these things at, at such a young age. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad they were there. And I, I'm glad uh, that was able to happen. And I, I don't mean to bring down the, the tone of the show, but, you know, no. I mean, you asked and I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I'm as honest as they come. So hmm. I, I'll just tell people, should they ask? You know, it's, it's a really tough situation. And I often think, you know, my mom, I was a 
fucking like I said, I was a I was a quintessential punk, you know. Mm. And the only thing she ever asked me to do is to be a good person and be someone she could be proud of. And when she passed, I I figured that was the least I could do. So that's when I started turning my life around and and stop being a delinquent and stop doing fucked up stuff and exercising empathy more mm-hmm. and realizing that, you know, all this time I was becoming part of the problem and I didn't want to be that. And I never wanted to be that. But, you know, you get a point, you get to a point in your life where everything's just so fucked, you know, you know, I, my dad kicking my ass everything. It was just, you learn such a lot and I'm just so glad I didn't end up one of those people who just went off the deep end and turned to alcohol and drugs. And believe me, I do not fault them because I know how fucking tough that shit is, but I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky to say I I made it out of all of that relatively unscathed, maybe not mentally unscathed, but relatively unscathed otherwise, you know? Normally, the follow-up question, you know, when we talk about things that happen in real life is to ask, you know, did that affect you, uh, you know, moving on with the rest of your life in any permanent way? And it sounds like you kind of touched that, touched on that at the end where you mentioned that, you know, her, some of her uh, expressions to you about being someone that she could be proud of and that guiding you into being more empathetic. Uh, and do you know why I was able to do that? Because I'm a kick-ass guest, man. That's right. <laughs> you answer the questions before we even ask them. I think it's we've the, already got our uh, our two questions later on. It's the art of interviewing. It's anticipation. It's it's conversation. You know, uh, I, I've interviewed everyone. I I did it for 20 years, so I I, I get what you guys are doing, and you guys are really great at it. Well, <laughs> we appreciate that. Uh, jumping into adult years then, um, what would you say, again, top three most impactful things in terms of horror in your life in adult years? I, I mean, when I was becoming an adult, it was like, you know, 1995 to 2000, whatever. I, I was not fond of current horror back then. I mean, they were few and far in between, but... There was a point during that particular moment in time where the MPAA was just fucking relentless. It it was depressing to me. So I I spent a lot of time just revisiting uh, my older horror movies, the ones I I had grown up with. And for nostalgia's sake, that was more my wheelhouse. But then, you know, Wes Craven delivered Scream, you know, and that was a lot of fun because it parodied every fucking thing that was going on and everything that I hated about what was going on in the horror scene. And then of course, you know, the final destination series, I absolutely adore. Mm -hmm. I love the others because it was a completely blew my mind spin on the haunted house movie. Um, Things like that, like stuff that, that really made me think or, or gave me something that wasn't expected. That was the kind of stuff that would really resonate with me. Mm. You know, so I'm I'm gonna hold your feet to the fire a little bit here. Mm. Something that has come up in other interviews is this is not unique by any means. You know, there's there's sort of separation between the the brain and the heart, shall we say? Mm -hmm. And 
the things that you mentioned, Final Destination and the others, uh, you know, being smart slasher, but not a slasher spin on the haunted house part of it. Mm-hmm. Those kind of strike to, strike me as being cerebral, not gut feeling. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so I wanted to ask, is there anything in, in your adult years that has given you that gut feeling? Uh, later on, once we, once we got past the aughts, number one, I don't know why everything from 2000 to 2010 is called the aughts, but whatever. Uh, I'm not a a huge proponent of the movies from the aughts, you know, but again, once movies started getting more visceral, you know, hatchet, you know, once the blood started flying again, you know, Adam Green's a good friend. I started the whole hatchet army movement with him. He always credits me for that, but I'm like, dude, you made the movie. You are are the reason why people love this shit and are supporting it. All I did was say, hey, this is cool, you know? So it's important to me that the indie filmmaker always has as much of a voice and as pre- and a presence as the studio films. And that was my mission statement when I started Dread Central. Okay. So Hatchet, Blood Flying Again, I'm trying to think in terms of how that, uh, you know, the, what gut emotion there was, was there for you? In fun, the- man. It was fucking yeah. fun. Uh, yeah, I didn't think it was going to be fear. <laughs> it's just, here's the thing. In the 80s and, and in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of cool shit going into theaters and even on TV. Some of those TV movies were scary as fuck, dude. And the reason why a lot of these movies are regarded as classics is because at that time, the filmmakers were just focused on making the best film that they could for better or worse. Nowadays, filmmakers, it's so daunting for them, especially in the studio system, because they have to, they have like a, checklist of boxes that they have to tick and you have to hit this audience and that audience it needs to be this it needs to be that and that's great but i just want people to understand that it's okay just to have fun with a movie again and to enjoy it for what it is you know and a lot of people just it's hard for them to do that nowadays and it goes to fandom it goes to the studio studio system there, there's a lot going on the, the latest Texas Chainsaw Massacre is getting crucified by so many people. But at the end of the day, I wasn't bored watching it. So yeah, I, the gore was good. You know? the, the gore was good. Yeah, I, I'm totally okay with that because it gave me 80 minutes of Leatherface on a, van, on a rampage. <laughs> oh, but he should have been older. You want him to walk around with a fucking walker in one hand and a chainsaw in the other? You could buy it. <laughs> or don't make it Leatherface, make it his son or something. He would have been 85 chronologically, 80 at the, at the youngest. It would have been his that's son. That's another show and another rant. Oh, yeah, that, it totally could have been his son, but it's still essentially the same character. You wouldn't want to watch... Seven-year-old Michael Myers walk around in a fucking little rascal scooter wielding a butcher knife, you know? (laughs) I would. (laughs) Let it go. Well, yeah, there's a certain part of me that would, too. But it would be fun, you know? But just different kind of fun. Enjoy yourself, man. Stop picking apart everything. Terrifier. No one ever even dreamed on our team that that movie would be as big as it turned out. That movie has nearly no story. It's no. just 
fun. Mm-hmm. And that's just boundaries too, though. I can't think of too many other movies where someone was uh, disfigured by just bare hands. In yeah, that's, that's that's a whole other conversation. Though we'll get to that. It's interesting because what I'm trying to tease out the what makes it fun for you, and it doesn't seem like my first thought was okay. Maybe it's nostalgia going back to you know it, it being fun when he was younger. But you didn't mention anything that seemed nostalgic to me. It just seems like you're just enjoying it for the sake of enjoying it. Well, it's it's nostalgic to a certain degree because when it comes to the slasher movies, they are fun to me. Like the movies like The Prowler and Mad Men and The Burning and all that stuff in that wheelhouse. Those were fun movies to me because they had these outrageous, hyper-realistic kills. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. And I love effects. There is nobody in the world who I would allowed to see something which i consider to be a masterpiece which is john carpenter's the thing and tell me the effects look face look faked i will punch them right in the fucking lip okay (laughs) it's just i love effects i love when people try to shock me i love it when they do and again victor crowley in hatchet he wasn't the butt of the joke the characters were the butt of the joke so again horror comedy done right so I'm looking at some of the other uh, questions here for the adult section, and the one thing that has almost come up once or twice now on the call, uh, you mentioned having reoccurring dreams in your adulthood? Yeah, I had, and I, I still have them. There, there's two dreams that I have. I, I hate to be a downer again. Uh, <laughs> it's par for the uh, course. My best friend died on 9-11. He was in one of the towers. Oh. And I was there uh, in Manhattan during that whole fiasco. And I was diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. I was right there watching people drop from buildings. And, you know, and then finding out once I finally got home that night that my friend was in one of those buildings. He didn't even work there. He was fixing a computer on the 102nd floor. That was the reason I left New York. You know, I, I couldn't live there anymore. There, there was just a lot of pain there. Like everything that was ever bad to me, bad to me happened in that city, you know. But again, that city's home to me. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to separate myself from it. But I did need some distance. So one of the recurring dreams I have that I'm telling you about in the most long-winded way possible mm-hmm. is I, I do have dreams about planes hitting and buildings coming down. And the other recurring dream I have, I have no idea. Maybe I was, a, I, this happened to me in a past life, if that's your thing and you believe in it. But I constantly have a dream. I'm walking outside and, you know, they say you can't see yourself in your dream. Hmm. I always see myself. And uh, somebody just walks up behind me and shoots me in the back of the head. And I wake up, hmm. you know? Yeah. Now every one of your listeners thinking, wow, this motherfucker, he's got some issues. And no, I mean, I'm primarily thinking like, wow, I've never had that dream. And that just the only thing that comes to mind, the only reaction or emotion is jarring. Because how do you ever see fucking see that coming? Just bam. Done. Yeah. yeah. It's not a, a thing stalking you or, or scaring you. Just done. Yeah. My, my dreams when I have nightmares, especially the recurring ones, they're very abrupt. It's always something that's blindsiding me or hits me out of nowhere, you know? Hmm. 
And I, I don't know, maybe it, that's because of the life I lived where every day there was an, there was a option for chaos happening at any moment, you know, and, and how you deal with that. You see, you know, I talk a lot about these bad things, but you know, I, I actually cherish them, you know, because being happy is, is relatively easy when, when you're happy, when everything's going your way and you're, you're really, you're having a great time, it's easy to smile and enjoy it. But you don't really learn anything from them. You know, you're just enjoying that. It's the times when you're flat on your ass and you're down for the umpteenth time. And the only thing you can do is look around you, stand up, dust yourself off, and look at the walls that are currently in front of you and say to yourself, how the fuck do I climb out of this? Those are the moments and the choices you make in those moments that are going to dictate the type of person you become and your character. So when times are bad, you, I, you really, and I know it sounds like I'm preaching, but fuck, dude, I've been through the ringer. But it's those times that you will have to learn to embrace because they're the most important. The times when you're down and you're being fucked with and you feel like you're drowning, that's living. That's why I, I tell people when I do tell them these stories, you know, don't feel bad for me. I appreciate that you want to say you're sorry, but I'm not. You know, every one of these things taught me something. And, and that's something no one can ever take away from me. And I've befriended them. And it, it sucks. And there were some things that I wish didn't happen. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. I think you've hit on basically the what I would think are the reasons for those dreams. I mean, if you think about, you know, dream interpretation, there's a couple of different schools of thought about them. But one of the things that I like to say is that we are human beings are not only pattern finding machines, we're also emotion processing machines yeah. and the emotions that you're processing there are basically like, like you said, being blindsided and how do you deal with that? And the things that you just, you said following that are, as you say, how to deal with those things. So, I think you're, you know, you've got out of them what you've needed to. Um, and I can understand having this dream continue in your adulthood because, you know, the fear of the unexpected is not something that necessarily goes away no matter how old or young you are. It's something that can maintain. Yeah, but you know what? The, the, the trick to it is it would be easy for me to just live the kind of life that I would always be waiting for the next shoe to drop. And that's the easiest thing to do. And you can live your life scared like that or anticipating dread. I disagree. I don't think that's the easier thing to do. I think that's actually much more stressful. Well, it, but stress is easy. But, you know, it's you that chooses how to react to these situations. Yes. You're, if something's making, your ma making you mad, only you can decide how mad you're going to let it make you. What is yeah. it? Uh, there's some saying things happen and you are the are the reaction that makes you feel bad like things yeah. don't make you feel bad you do absolutely and and that's why i i mean that it's easy the harder thing to do to me is try to turn all these negative things into something more positive because that takes work you know right let me um let me jump to sort of near the end here we've got some follow-up questions that these these questions go over your entire lifetime not just any particular time section and it's not also it also these are not just related to horror so this could be any kind of genre anywhere 
that we want to talk about. Sure. Um, the first two questions I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you the questions at the same time because it could be the same answer for both questions or they could be two different answers. Uh, the two questions are, what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other? <laughs> I think we already know the answer to these. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> See, anticipatory kick-ass guess. See? Uh, so Night of the Living Dead for both of them. Yes? Absolutely. Wasn't it also uh, uh, Abbott and Costello versus Frankenstein? Close. That was his it, second it's favorite. like a pube away. <laughs> Do you see any common threads about what kind of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical? I think you said... Uh, not, that's supernatural. What was paranormal. I, I love paranormal movies. When I was living in San Diego for, I, I lived there for like 21 years. There, there was a film festival out in LA called uh, Screamfest. And Screamfest is incredible. Uh, Rachel Belofsky, who runs it, is a, a wonderful person. She had sent me a screener for a movie that she wanted my opinion on. And I put this movie on and I watched it. And I said, holy shit, what the fuck is this? And was that as good as I thought it was? And I watched it again and I watched it again. I was like, wow, that was really good. It actually, parts of it actually scared me. And that's no easy job. And that movie turned out. Did you mention the name of the movie? Because I didn't think I heard you say I'm it. keeping you in suspense, motherfucker. <laughs> Just making sure. Okay. Professional okay. guest. I, I purposely didn't <laughs> say the name of the movie yet. Um, All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, that movie ended up being Paranormal Activity. And yeah, yeah that, 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 that's an, another movie that I, I just bought a crime and sinker. And I, I think what really attracted me about that movie and as well as the Blair, as well as the Blair Witch Project or the Blair Witch Project as well. If I could speak, it'd be so much easier to do this interview. Um, I buy into characters and and if you can convince me that your characters are real and, and to that degree, I'm 110% on board. And usually it's the found footage movies, which are really good, that, that are able to do that because they do seem real. Well, hang, hang on, because what you're saying about both of these movies is almost like meta-commentary instead of talking about what the ride itself actually was. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like... You're talking about how you you were you loved them because you stayed immersed in the ride, but what was the ride? The ride was these are people who are doing things and subjected to things that should have been normal that came across some shit that they shouldn't have been fucking with and they kept fucking with it and they paid the price. Maybe it's because in some way the whole Ouija board incident and my mom resonated with me. Maybe that was something... I shouldn't have been doing and I paid the price. And maybe that's why those particular tropes resonate with me. I, I don't know. But the ride is stop fucking around, man. There are things out there that you just shouldn't fuck with. You yeah. know, to borrow a phrase from the Northeast, both, you know, Philly and New York fucked around and found out, fuck yeah. around and find out, you know what I mean? Exactly. So I, it, that's it, man. You, you, you summarized it perfectly. <laughs> um, so, the next question is any idea why it is you like those things? Um, I think I kind of answered all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean the fuck around and find out thing. That's kind of just enjoying the ride. You did mention that there was in this case, because of the paranormal, there was possibly touching on the thing with your mom. Potentially. I mean, that, 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 
You know what, man? I, I've I've really tried to read into myself as much as I care to. I mean, I'm okay, but sometimes you open a door that you shouldn't, and then you're in a miserable mood. You know, yeah. so uh, I'm an open book. I always tell people exactly what goes on, but when it comes to self introspection, I've been there, and sometimes it's a dark place, and I- I've learned to befriend all of that, you know, and, and make my peace with it. You know, you, you, we live in a world where our regrets can haunt us forever, but they don't have to. We could just put them down and truth. Which kind of leads into the next question, which is why horror? Because that very those very questions and the questions of dealing with those things are questions that do come up in other genres too, particularly dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't key into drama as much as horror. No, and you know there are dramatic aspects certainly to horror movies, especially some of the really good ones. But um. Horror movies allow us to deal with the pathos of death in just a little bit of a different way than the average film dealing with death does. Again, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's thoughtful, sometimes it's horrific, and and you don't want to see it. Sometimes you'll see this movie that makes you want to take a shower afterwards. You you feel so corrupted by by it, but you know what? It goes back to what I said. Horror elicits a feeling. And it's up to the viewer to decide what that feeling is. Yeah. And I think you kind of touched on it. The answer I was thinking of for this question, you kind of touched on briefly for a second there for lack of a a way to say this, the words I was going to use is the, it's the flavor of the death that, that uh, is being talked about in the movies. Like you talked about war movies. There's, there's something different Mm -hmm. about the context there versus say digging into the paranormal. Absolutely. And, and that, that difference is, is vast. It's a big difference. You can. And what you're keying into is not war movies. It's, there's something specific about the kinds of mm, situations it's, that are dealt with in the horror. It's a different type of peril in horror. You know? Yeah. It, it's a more non realistic peril that can help us deal with the real horrors of this world, I think. You know? and, and I think that's why it resonates so much and so well with so many well i guess before we kind of wrap up here sort of the last question is is there anything relevant that you can think of that maybe came into mind or has has been in your in in your head that we haven't talked about no i mean i i gotta say this was one of and and, and i'm i'm not blowing smoke up your ass this you know but this was one of my favorite interviews that i've done and I, i've done a ton, and I really think you, you all, you both, asked a lot of really interesting things and things I haven't been asked uh, before, and I, I just really want to thank you for that because I appreciate that. Everybody always is like, "Oh, well, tell me about George, or tell me about Sid, or yeah. what's going on with this, or what's going on with that." And you know, it, it's to be able to really dig deep into something I truly love. It has been a pleasure for me, and I'm grateful for it. So thank. you. Well, this is this is a perfect segue into us giving you a spot to talk about what you're working on now. <laughs> you know, Terrifier very much is my swan song in Dread Central. And honestly, I couldn't go out on a better note if I wanted to. You know, that is, that if I had to go out, that's how I wanted to go out, by giving somebody or helping to give somebody 
something that they really love. And that to me is the very definition of success. And uh, when I left Dread Central, I, I thought it was really over for me then. You know, this is the only thing I was good at. And being that I already had a taste of producing, I, I started writing. Uh, I ended up becoming a WGA writer. Uh, the studio bought one of, bought something that we had written. And that was great. It's probably never going to get made. And that's great too. But because, hey, at least I finally got paid for something. And right. um, so, yeah, win. And uh, since then, I, I've been, you know, I, I came aboard Terrifier 2 as a producer. I have another project with Spider One of Power Man 5000. His feature film debut called Allegoria, which there's news coming about soon. I'm working on another anthology with a wonderful group of people that met on that app clubhouse. Basically, the Sebastian Bazile, Alex Neuer, who did A Sound of Violence, Jed Shepard, who's behind hosts, uh, David McEnany, myself, Josh Stolberg, who's very embedded in the Saw franchise. We all got together and we decided to have a crazy idea and let 10 filmmakers pitch their short film to us. And we're going to put it together in an anthology for them. And that's going into production right now, no bullshit, which I am incredibly proud of. And uh, of course, the big elephant in the room for me is Terrifier 2. And I get a lot of people asking me about it. When's it coming out? Is it going to deliver? And Terrifier 2 is a really interesting thing because what do you do? Yeah. How do you you go for that? Uh, Spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, but I guess the... the the woman with the disfigured face lives in the end, right? She disfigures another woman's face, I think. So she could be the new art, maybe? I'm not going to say anything. Um, okay. okay. I will say this. Art the Clown is in it, very much so. And, uh, oh, yeah, because that's right. He came back in the morgue. I forgot about that. Basically, the, the thing with Terrifier, listen, again, we have no misconceptions of what Terrifier is. You know, we have no misconceptions about why people like it. We're not auteurs. Okay. <laughs> so when it, when it comes to Terrifier 2, basically what everyone's going to get is more Terrifier and more kills yeah. and muddier kills and more Art the Clown. I'll be the ACDC of the horror world. Yeah, dude. You know, and you know what, <laughs> you know what I'm most proud of of Terrifier? You know, there is no way in the world any studio with any brains will touch this movie. <laughs> so terrifier belongs to the fans yeah. they're the ones asking for it they're the ones supporting it they're the rock stars making the fucking t-shirts and, and getting the tattoos so to have a franchise that's owned primarily for the fans i fucking couldn't dream of anything so cool you know and um Really excited about that. So there, Dread Central didn't end up being the end for me. It, it opened up a lot of different doors. And one of the most important doors it opened for me is uh, I had the honor and the pleasure of having Sid Haig and George Romero be my mentors for many, many years. And you cannot ask for better guidance from fucking anyone. And uh, they're both gone. And, you know, in the time that I had spent with them, which was about a decade they taught me so much i have such a fucking cauldron of wisdom from these two cats and now that they're not here i i take it as a responsibility 
to help the younger filmmakers and, and just tell them what I know and share with them because it's, it's the type of advice that should be shared and should be celebrated to keep the spirit of the Romeros and the Sid Hades and all the filmmakers who are making kick-ass projects alive. It's all passing down one to the other. And to be sort of one of the gatekeepers of that kind of knowledge is my ultimate honor. And that's where I'm at, man. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> okay. It's cool that you get to. Well, thank you very much for your time. It was a uh, good having you. Oh, thank you um, let me, um, let me hit the closing here. Uh, thank you to anybody out there listening. Please do come visit us at horrormakesushappy.com. Uh, we've got a list of the people that we'd like to interview. We're also going to have a bio page for Mr. Barton and link to whatever it is that he'd like us to link to. Uh, you can also hit us up on social media or let us know how we're doing. Um, there's also Patreon and merch and all that kind of fun stuff. Again, just horrormakesushappy.com. Now, allow me to say, support the fucking Patreon, goddammit. Yes, right. <laughs> God damn it. Make up for the for the fucking discretions of past days. Support the Patreon. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs>